2: Mobile hunters, our buddies over at Tethered are always innovating to keep us more mobile and in the game when it counts. From the Tethered One Sticks, the Fast Pack, to the Ultra Lock Saddle, Tethered is always designing to increase comfort and utility while reducing bulk, weight, and fiddle factor of mobile hunting gear. And now, they've outdone themselves yet again by creating the Carbon Fiber Forged Predator CFX platform, the lightest, fully featured mobile saddle platform that raises the bar for what's possible in mobile hunting gear whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting gear welcome to the truth from a stand deer hunting podcast i'm your host clint campbell and you're listening to episode number 374 Today I'm joined by Steve Jewett, owner of Bushman Bows, to talk traditional archery and building custom bows. So stay tuned. what is up everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I am back fresh off of hanging out for a day at the uh, great American outdoor show in Harrisburg. Uh, if you're headed out there this weekend, if you haven't been out there, if you've never been out there, it's, it's, it's a killer show to go see. It's uh, the biggest, if I'm not mistaken, um, consumer outdoor show in the, in the country. Um, tons of brands there, a lot of good deals. Like if you're looking to pick up gear this time of year, that's usually a pretty good place to do it. Cause usually everyone's running some type of show special. My buddies from Exodus are there. My buddies from tethered are there. Both are in the archery hall. So are my buddies from Osseo gear. Those guys are in the archery hall as well. And then our buddies from whitetail adrenaline are also there. They're kind of in the hallway around the corner down from the, um, archery hall, but had a great time there this past weekend. Uh, got to talk to a lot of you that came up uh, just to kind of chop it up. hear some deer stories that stopped by the Exodus booth or the tether booth and uh, share some deer stories. So that's always one of my favorite parts uh, of the year is the season's over, things winding down. Um, go to the show, go to the Harrisburg show and, uh, and just kind of chop it up and talk deer hunting with the folks who kind of slide by the booth. It's always cool to hear people's successes, uh, hear their, their failures. There was one fellow that I talked to that really kind of struck me. I was talking to my buddy, Joe Miles, um, from Osseo gear. And, uh, we were just kind of talking about, you know, people's perspectives of, um, you know, success or, or not success. Um, you know, how they, how they kind of quantify those things. And, uh, you know, usually, you know, when you're at that show, you'll hear people come up and, and talk to you and you say, you know, I always ask people how their season was. I want to know, you know, Hey man, how, how things go this year for you? You know, did you have a good time? Did you, did you get out a lot? You know, um, what'd you mess up on? You know, I'm always looking to learn stuff. You know, I, I can probably pick something up from people whenever I'm talking to them. And so I'm always kind of interested in their process and how they do things. Um, and that's usually my, my first question is like, Hey, how, how was your, how was your year? And some, you know, some people say, you know, Ah, uh, you know, killed a doe. You know, messed up on this buck, or he wended me, or I, or I shot and I missed him, or you know, whatever the case, whatever the case is, you know. And but it's usually always started with like, ah, it wasn't great this year. You know, I didn't get the kill the buck I wanted to kill, and you know, it didn't fill that tag. I killed a doe, you know. And um, and it was just interesting. I was I was talking to a fella, and and, and it kind of struck Joe and I both the same, where it's like, you know. Just having encounters, especially depending on where you're at. You know, a lot of these guys are from around the Pennsylvania area. There's a lot of pressure. Some I've talked to some dudes from Virginia and a lot of guys from Maryland and New York. And and, and um, there's just some pretty tough states to hunt. You know, especially if you're doing you know public land stuff for the mo- for the most part. And uh, and I've, I just felt like those those guys that kind of had that kind of initial kind of conversations, the start of the conversation you know, they, they weren't as unsuccessful as they might, as they might think that they were. Um, they were having encounters. They got arrows off the string at bucks. Um, maybe it didn't end the way that they wanted it to. And sometimes it's cause you make a mistake or you make, make a bad, bad shot. And that happens to everybody. You know, and sometimes it's just, you know, as I, you guys have heard me say a hundred times, like, you know, I got beat for several years by deer in a particular spot. It was just deer doing deer things. And sometimes deer do deer things and you don't fill tags. Um, but there was one guy that came up and I and if he's listening forgive me for uh, for not remembering your name but I I asked him how his season went and he said man it was great and what followed after that really kind of surprised me. He said I had the best season. I you know uh, I saw a buck. I don't remember if it was three different bucks or if he missed the same buck 3 times, but he's like, you know, I saw him, I saw a buck I wanted to kill and I went to shoot him and I shot over his back. And then I saw him again, or maybe it was a different buck. I'm trying. I can't remember the story heard heard so many stories on, on Saturday. And then he hit a tree and then he saw another buck or maybe it was the same buck again a third time. These are different, different hunts in a hut. And I hit another tree and I didn't fill any tags, but it was the best season ever. And it just kind of struck me that that guy's outlook and how he looked at his season is the reason why he'll end up filling tags and having success because he's got the right attitude. And you always hear like the, the lame thing that attitude is everything. Like the only thing you can control is your attitude, right? You can't control sometimes the things that happen to you. And sometimes you make mistakes and you wish you could go back and redo them, but you can't. And the only thing you can do is control the way you view those things and what you're going to do about it next time. And so I have no doubt that dude has a lot of filled tags coming in his future. Um, And so I just wanted to pass that along because it was probably my favorite conversation of the weekend. Um, just because of his perspective, because we probably need a little bit more of that, uh, just in general. And we could certainly use it, um, in hunting. So with that, uh, the other cool thing I got to do, uh, got to spend a little time and it was kind of impromptu. I got to kind of, you know, the white tail adrenaline guys are there and Jared's there and I got to kind of chat and hang out with him. And, uh, actually he let me watch a little bit of, a little bit of him shooting his longbow. Um, you know, cause I'm kind of, uh, kind of appropriate, right. We're, we're going to talk some traditional uh, archery and stuff in this show and this podcast specifically. And, you know, Jared, you know, is obviously known for the stuff he doesn't want to adrenaline, you know, getting after big deer on the ground, traditional equipment, stuff like that. And I didn't really understand the extent that he goes to, in, in terms of his approach to traditional archery. Um, you know, I'll let him kind of explain stuff that he does or whatever at some point if he ever wants to. But what I will say is that every now and then you'll see things like you hear people talk about game changers in like the hunting space and stuff like that, and it's usually related to a product. And usually, like when you ask someone what's the coolest thing you've seen all year in in the hunting space, they usually like, oh, it's this product or this widget or someone made a lighter this or a lighter that, and all those things are great. But I will say without a shadow of a doubt, the, the coolest and most innovative thing that I've seen in the hunting space in the seven, like eight years that I've had this podcast was actually watching Jared shoot a longbow. His technique is just, he's, he's made a point to kind of go back in time and shoot in a similar way to where ancient warriors shot and to watch him do it is inspiring. When I was watching him, you know, a couple of us were able to watch him shoot. And, you know, my one buddy said, you know, that's mastery of a of a tool. And I was like, you're right. I was like, but I think it's one step further than that. I think it's actually artistry. I think he's actually creating art when he's shooting a bow. As hoity toity as that sounds, that's kind of how it made me feel whenever I was watching him. Um, so long way to say if, if you see him at the show, just tell him what's up, stop by their booth. Um, but sometimes innovation doesn't come with what is the newest thing. Sometimes innovation is how far can you go back to, to the original kind of concept of what something is and, um, and what is the benefit of that? Right. And I think that's really what he's, what he's doing and it's, and it's awesome to see. And, you know, maybe, maybe my venture into (laughs) traditional archery might take me somewhere like that, but you know, it's, it's just watching what he's doing. It's hard to believe that I could ever have the commitment to, uh, to the craft that he has to, to reach that. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show. have a cool show for you guys today. got my buddy, Steve Jouette on, he's the owner of Bushman bows. Uh, we talk a little traditional archery, but the big thing is, is, you know, for me wanting to jump into this and now that I have a a shoulder that's capable of jumping into the, the traditional game, you know, there's a lot of things I need to consider, uh, in terms of having a bow built for me. Um, and so I thought, you know, hey, if there's guys out there that are tinkering and thinking uh, similarly, why not do a podcast and kind of talk about, you know, if I'm going to get a, a long bow made, what kind of homework do I need to do? What do I have to have established before that? You know, it's not as simple as just like, hey, calling up the a local bowyer, you know, and having them make you a bow and saying, hey, I want this draw weight, this uh, draw length, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because it's not really based on what you use and what you do with a compound. Right. And so we talk a lot about that. Um, cause my plan is to, to get along longbow from Steve. Um, and so figure it appropriate to have him on and chop it up and, uh, and kind of run through the, uh, the works if you will. And hopefully it helps someone else out there. That's, uh, that's considering it as well. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's show as always. Thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand deer hunting podcast. And today I have on a fella that I uh, I actually learned of from a, uh, a mutual friend of ours or buddies of ours, uh, Mr. Cody DeQuisto. Um, if you guys listen to the podcast for the past you know year or so, you've heard me kind of talk about wanting to make the transition to traditional, been pecking around at it for a little while and started kind of looking at bows. And I'm in the phase of wanting to you know, pick a bow now and kind of get that party uh, started. So I thought no one better to reach out to than a fellow who has been making bows and awesome bows for quite some time. And that is none other than Mr. Steve Jewett What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah. Busy, 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 man. How's the, uh, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? Did you, you did you thaw out yet?
1: Oh yeah, we're thought out. But it's it's in the upper thirties. Supposed to get cold again tonight. But uh, yeah, all the snow's gone. It's been foggy and rainy. Yeah. It's just kinda of gray, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I hate that foggy rainy like the whenever it's cold and then all of a sudden there's snow on the ground and then it heats up. It's like it's, I I like when it gets rid of the snow, but the whole fog bit just kind of drives me crazy. Like for whatever reason, okay. I don't know why. I just don't like it. I don't like the drive in it. I can't see anything. It just it's miserable
1: kind of spooky too
2: it is kind of spooky too yeah you know what's funny is there's a there's a spot i used to hunt that uh it was some water access in this one area that's it's actually not uh local to me it's a little bit of a drive from me and uh it was a water access piece and it was actually right near a cemetery that i had to kind of float by (laughs) and you'd be in there in the morning you know floating by and you'd hear all kinds of weird sounds just like you know whatever making noise and it always was uh it was always an interesting boat ride <laughs> past that section paddling.
1: I, I would imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's all good, you know. It's you just got to deal with it. Spring's coming. That's all I can say. And uh, that's right. You know, uh, I can see everything through the woods through here, and I I have neighbors, but they're pretty far away, right? You know, a of yards, but uh, I can see one of them's house when. uh you know when the when the leaves are all gone and
2: right right yeah you um, when uh, the spring hits you get a little bit of your privacy back too I always like that
1: we right. uh, yeah, had actually yeah <clears throat> yeah
2: exactly how was your hunting season man speaking of I, I started talking a little bit about hunting how was your uh, how was your season this year good
1: my my season was short it was I was super busy um, and you know I my priorities just were getting my customers bows done and right getting things out, you know, I just transitioned to a new shop. So, yeah. you know, getting back and rolling and get things going and weeding out who's still on my list and who's not. And right. so, um, you know, and I still had some deer meat left. So I was like, well, you know, I might do a little gun hunting. I'm not going to do any bow hunting. Uh, I could do it on the property here, but, right. um, uh, the deer I've been watching, we have soybeans this year. So, He's in and out, but during right. the corn, he'll come in and he'll stay. So uh, he, I call him Stubby because he has no tail <laughs> at all. Nice so, from the back. He looks like an antelope from the back.
2: Huh. That's interesting. And what I, a so what a so you, you mentioned that you transitioned or you moved shop. So where yeah. where is the Bushman Bow shop at now?
1: I'm in uh, Peru, Indiana. Indiana,
2: okay, and it was previously in florida florida okay what part of florida was it
1: uh fort pierce
2: fort pierce okay how was the how was the hunting down there (laughs)
1: yeah well i mean it's it's okay but it's a whole different ball game i mean you as soon as you walk into the woods you can't see anything 10 feet in front of you right it's so thick it's ridiculous so you, you really have to uh got to know how to hunt the areas and um you got to keep your eyes open because things will just pop up right underneath you in seconds um but you know overall i mean it's not bad but mm-hmm. uh, the worst parts are mosquitoes you yeah. know all the varieties uh and the ticks um in in the critters there's critters that you know can be dangerous in uh, florida so you, you have to be careful uh, depending on if you're swamp hunting or you know flats hunting or whatever, you know there's various uh, reptiles, snakes, and right, etc. etc. Et et which I won't get, but
2: right, um, there's various things there that would like to bite you. Is essentially yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, lots of creepies, and uh, so. I only hunted management areas, so I was I always had access to a lot of property, but you know, you always have a bunch of other people too. Right. And during gun season it's a it's just a circus. Um yeah. I, I've been I've had bullets whiz by me about five times throughout my twenty years of hunting out there. Right. And one of them hit the tree I was in one time. And I was like, really? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll do it, man. That's I mean, that's one thing, you know, I don't, I don't make any bones about it. You know, that's one of the things that I like most, you know, I shouldn't say most, but you know, that I enjoy archery season because of the, um, the safety factor is going to call it what it is, right? Like I, I feel, I feel just safer being out walking around, you know, than I do, you know, during gun season. And so I haven't gun hunted around here even been out during gun season, you know, well, I, that's not true. I was out last year during gun season carrying my bow, um, you know, and I'll wait till like rifle season is over until late season comes in and around where I live in like my locale, you can still, it's a special regs unit. So people can still use a slug gun through the end of January just for does. Um, oh, okay. and then there's, and then there's a, there's a muzzleloader season. I think there's a, a flintlock, like primitive flintlock season as well. Yep. yep. Um, and so I feel a little better during that time of year to be out and about, you know, having a little bit of orange on or whatever, but during gun season, I just give, I just let it go for those two weeks and don't, and don't bother.
1: Well, it, I, it depends on where you are, you know? Yeah, for sure. I've got a bunch of, well, a few friends that have leases and whatnot. And, uh, so we get to hunt some pretty decent areas that are private and, um, I did do some gun hunting and I passed on a nice, well, actually I passed on two nice bucks. One of them was about in the one forties, maybe one fifty, but he was heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, he had a lot of character, but you know, he was just he laid down about 200 yards from me and I could see him and I was like, I'm not going to shoot that deer laying down. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So, i didn't do it and then uh, the last day i was out and i froze my butt off when I, was out. <laughs> I didn't have the right gear on uh i went three times um right gear i didn't have on it and i started getting hypothermic yeah uh, but i mean i've got i i've taken arctic shields so i had these old arctic shield boot covers yep and i bought them too small they wouldn't fit over my boots so i, I had them around for years and one day i said you know i'm gonna make something out of these things so i cut the toes off as much as I could mm-hmm. and what I do is I pack them in my pack with, with and I always carry at least eight big hand warmers with me yep and I I take uh, electrical tape and I will tape uh the uh, hand warmers to the top of my foot and the bottom and then put the arctic sheet over and then tape them onto my foot right hm. and man I'm going to tell you what 100 percent difference because yeah. my feet cold quickly I, I don't know why but they always have and uh yeah so warm toes and you know uh having a bib on and mm-hmm. all the other stuff and a nice hat and everything sometimes yeah. you go out you get a, a front coming in and it changes everything and blah blah blah. But. Yeah. Um yeah I I seen a buck my last day real nice one and uh he, he jumped over the fence when I was uh kind of taking care of my business. Right. <laughs> uh I was like man those are big does you know so I sit down, <laughs> man and one's got horns I'm looking at it and then uh, and they were in the CRP so you could hardly see him. Right. But he came out and looked and I said oh he's a shooter you know he's probably 155 maybe. Right just bigger than what I got. So, but anyway, he, he was bedding down and he just ducked down and I'd never seen him again. And, and that was that I wasn't right. worried about. It.
2: Yeah. those Arctic shields, man. I've, I've used those in the past and those are, those are awesome. What I ended up starting to do um, is I started, and I, I can't claim this, this is a buddy of mine, uh, Byron Horton actually is the one who kind of turned me onto this. He, he takes a pair of, uh, like what I use is like a pair of Carhartt, like wool socks, right? Just like, you know, the mm-hmm. biggest ones I can buy. And I basically cut them off to where, you know, they would basically just cover up to like the middle of my foot essentially. Right. I cut yeah. them off there and I just pack those and I take those along and I do the same thing. So I'll put just like a toe warmer on, on top and pull those little socks over the tips of my toes, like over the base of the toes of my boots back to like yeah. m- mid sole yeah. and I'm good to go you know yeah. and uh, and they're super and it's super packable you know but i have used the arctic shields in the past and those things are those things are great i just struggled putting them on while i was in a while i was in the tree like i just yeah, you know yeah yeah that was the only yeah. thing and these socks seem to be just a little easier for me to manipulate and get them and get them on so that's what i've been that's what i've been using
1: yeah so you can see that uh, basically i used to do the same thing and uh of course the wind would just suck the, the heat out oh so- yeah I was like, "Oh man!" So I had plastic bags up there one time, and I didn't like that because I looked like a. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I look like, look. I don't know what I looked like, but it was weird. Yeah,
2: I remember. I remember putting. You know, if I got like a pair, of, if I had a pair of snow boots when I was a kid, and like they started leaking or something like that, it was like the old man was we like, "Here's two bread bags. You know, put yeah. them on your feet. And put your boots on. <laughs> you know, that was that was the way you did it."
1: I remember that, yeah. but, uh, you know, the part of, uh, being a sportsman and outdoorsman is using your brain, Yeah. having seven survival te- uh, tactics. And, you know, uh, we sit around, especially in tree stain. I, I'm always sitting around thinking about how can I fix this problem I'm having or mm-hmm. just think deep, you know, yep. cause I'm, I don't, I try not to play on my phone at all when I'm out in the woods. I, I, I just, I'm always watching. Mm hmm. And a lot of I got a lot of friends, man. That they just they're playing Pong and not yeah. Pong, but Candy Crush and, and and I'm like, dude, you you probably don't know, but there's probably a lot of bucks that walk by you that you don't even see because they're mm-hmm. good for maybe five seconds or whatever. And yep, and of course yeah. that's probably what it is with all of us. But
2: yeah, there's some people that even listen to podcasts or music like why they're out. And I'm like, I don't know how you could do that. Like I'm constantly like just listening, you know, listening and and listening and looking. And if, if my eyes get tired, then I just start trying to pay attention. I'll even sometimes, you know, close my eyes and just try to listen. You know, if I'm, if my eyes start bothering me,
1: I think it's an ascension process, you know, that you kind of grow as a, a hunter and it just depends on how serious you are. But if you're a trad hunter, you don't do that. Right. I mean, I, heard of a trad hunter doing that yeah we're gonna mess around on a phone and me having this boat business i got people texting me all the time so and i don't ever so uh you know if if it's important i'll just text back to them uh you know in a tree stand i'll call you in for four or five hours or whatever and that's that uh but um you know for the most part i've always looked at it like being on watch like if you're in the military you gotta watch right you gotta watch from, you know dark to dark and i'm telling you man and everybody knows it's done it she, hunting from sun up to sundown, it is a tough hunt especially yeah. in a in a hangar right you know, i couldn't even imagine being in a uh 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 what do you call the saddle yeah jeez, yeah remember but um So, you know, I'm getting old now, so I can't really do that anymore. I can do it when I want to, but Mm -hmm. it it won't, it may be two days in a row. But after that, I'm spent. I'm like, I got to rest, you know?
2: Yeah. It's for me, it's, um, you know, I don't mind doing it, um, but I've much more, I just like to move. You know, that's one thing that I've kind of learned over the past couple of years for me is that one of the things I really enjoy about hunting in plain states, regardless of like they have good critters there, they got good animals, you know, good, uh, you know, big deer to chase and stuff like that. It's more so the style of hunting because you're always, you know, there's sometimes you'll do a sit somewhere in the timber, right. And you're doing a dark to dark sits. And, you know, even if you think you have like a really, like you've done your homework and you think you're in the right spot and you think that, You know the deer that you've been chasing, or a deer, a good deer, is going to come through at some point because you've you know done your work. You over a course of time, you start to kind of think maybe I'm not in the game here, right? And 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 then that becomes a mental battle of okay, you did your work, you know you you know you might be in the right spot. You might get up and you might move trees or you might move fifty yards or hundred yards or whatever the case is. But what I like about hunting plain states is that. I never feel out of the game. Like I always feel like an opportunity is like two seconds away from either glassing a good deer, right? Or getting a visual on a deer that I've been playing cat and mouse with, or I'm walking into this new piece that I've never been into before. And so maybe there's a giant in there. I always feel that I'm in the game whenever I'm hunting those scenarios. And I think, yeah. I think sometimes the, you know, the dark to dark in the timber limited visibility type of sits can really kind of weigh on you mentally because you get to a point to where you just, you maybe start to believe that you're not in the, not in the game. Right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Especially if you're not seeing anything, there's your right. hint right
2: there. Right. Right. Yeah. Get in the game, then get down and move. And that's I mean, hard for people sometimes. Right. Like I know that like for me, especially if I travel out of state, you know, and I'm hunting somewhere, yeah. it's, you know, I, I give a place basically like a morning and an afternoon. And if I don't see anything, by like late afternoon, I'm probably pulling my stuff and moving, you know, and just, and I might walk the rest of the day and not even set up for the evening. And, and maybe I'll find something decent and just leave my stuff there for the morning and just be like, all right, this is my neck. This is my morning hunt tomorrow, you know, yep. and just kind of jump spots. But, but uh, you, you mentioned earlier kind of that ascension, you know, you know, especially if you're a trad hunter, you know, that, you know, you're, maybe you're a little bit more dialed in. You're not listening to, listening to podcasts. You might take a little, you know, uh, digital breaks, if you will, give yourself a little relief, you know, on your phone or maybe check a text message if the wife or someone's texting you. But, you know, I'm always curious, man, like how did you, because you went, you know, you're trad hunter, right. But, you know, you kind of go one step further than that where you're actually making bows. You're, you're uh, a bowyer, right. And so I'm just curious how someone, how someone kind of gets into making bows because it just seems, it seems to me like I'm just not very mechanically inclined. And so I would love nothing more than be able to, I think it's just, it would be the coolest thing to be able to make your own bow and then go kill something with that bow. And then you've done everything from soup to nuts. The closest I'll ever get is talking to someone like you and having a bow made specifically for me (laughs) that I kill. But how does someone get started, you know, building bows? How did you get started?
1: Well, look, it's different for everybody, but it's inspiration. Uh, it can be a bunch of things. But for me, uh, I, I started archery when I was 19. Actually, I started when I was a kid. I just never had a bow. My father wouldn't let me have one. But we had him in school. And uh, it was funny because one of my best friends was uh, Passamaquoddy Indian. And him and I, were we, we would always end up at a standoff. He would always beat me. And uh, I didn't even know how to shoot a bow. I just shot it, you Mm -hmm. know. So, you know, the fiberglass bows with the fiberglass arrows and all that stuff. To see everybody else shooting was actually kind of comical. Um, But uh, anyway, um, that was a seed of some sorts. But uh, I got into archery uh, when I moved to Florida, I think is when I really started. I got my first bow when I was uh, 19 or 20, I think compound bow mm-hmm. and i wanted with a compound bow for um quite a while mm-hmm. and um but what got me into making bows is you know, i've always i'm a craftsman i'm a, a woodworker i'm an artisan i'm a faux artist uh, i do a lot of different things
3: mm-hmm.
1: and over the years i've uh i've i've acquired some skills
3: mm-hmm.
1: okay so and it wasn't in one field. It was a bunch of fields. Mm-hmm. So me being around the furniture industry, the cabinet industry, the finishing industry, I was a master flow finisher by my sense. I mean, and I really got good young because I I'm a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And I started painting when I was uh, probably 14 or 13. Um, I mean, my art teacher bought one of my paintings one time and I, I couldn't believe he gives me 75 bucks and he's like, you know, you can make money doing this. <laughs> and he goes, I'm going to give you $75 for that painting. And I'm like, I mean, I'm in like 14 in school and I'm like, wow. Right. So yeah. I started pumping out paintings and, and, uh, just getting, you know, the schemes in my head and the colors and learning how to do things. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at that point, not a lot of formal training,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but mostly my art teacher's inspiration and his guidance. But now in, in, uh, you know, wood shop, uh, technical drawing, uh, all graphic arts, all these things. I, I, I always faced them. Hmm. So, my dad always told me when I was a kid, he goes, You want to do something uh, with your life? Do something that you'll do for free. Hmm. He said, You'll never feel like you work and, and have your own business. Hmm. And that's what I did. So, I've been self employed since. Uh, probably 93 or 92 hmm. somewhere in there nice so yeah it's a long time and um anyway speed us up a little bit I I uh, I got kind of bored with the, um, the, the the compound stuff mm-hmm. it to me it was almost like a gun um I just got really good at it and I wasn't the guy that shot 60 yards and stuff I'd always do 25 30 35 but I just it got boring to me mm-hmm And I wanted a challenge and this is what it does for everyone. They all get bored and there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I don't care what you hunt. It's all about doing it. It's not about killing. Mm -hmm. It's about hunting, using your skills, putting your time in, uh, manning up and and sitting when it's not fun, Mm -hmm. cold and, and thinking and outsmarting and studying and, and, uh, creating and doing all kinds of stuff. So, uh, that's kind of my philosophy anyway. And, uh, my mother-in-law, um, I I found some Osage orange and I'd been reading a book, uh, Bowyer's Bible. It's an old book. And then there's another one, um, about an Indian. I can't remember the name of it. Some guy gave to me, he made an Osage bow and all that stuff. But I read that. It really inspired me because I knew I could do that. Hmm. And so um, my mother in law was like, Steve, I know you could make a bow. Why don't you make a bow out of that? And I'm like, Yeah, well, you know, because I was visiting here in Indiana and uh, I didn't have any tools. So, but anyway, I just started whittling away and I made a bow. And of course, it broke because I didn't know anything about making bows and <laughs> selecting wood and grain and all that stuff. So, right. And I made another one. And then I made another one. Then I made another one. Then I made another one, then I made another one. Kept doing it and doing it. And they got better and better. And, um, at some point, people just started. Wow, those are nice. You know, how much you want for this and blah blah blah. And I said, well, I don't feel comfortable. Wooden bows break. Right. And they break when they break. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they never break. But they're just to me. I didn't want the uh, the risk and the liability of just something snapping. Right. So I, was, eh, I'm not going to sell. So I never sold any wooden bows. Um. And um. And 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 look, they're super nice. I have nothing against people that do it. It's, it's a, it's a great skill and, and they're wonderful bows. They shoot great. They're real quiet, but I, I just wanted more in, mm-hmm. and, and mostly what it was is my experience in the, uh, laminations industry, uh, doing, uh, marine repairs. And I knew about fiberglass. I knew about resins. I knew mm-hmm. about epoxies. I knew about, uh, things, I knew about lacquers. I knew about, uh, gluing up stuff. I knew about, uh, uh, molds and, and well, somewhat about molds. So I knew this stuff and I'm like, I'm going to make me a, a, a laminated bow. So I did what most people do is, uh, I called up, uh, uh Bingham's and, uh, ordered, uh, ordered some stuff and, uh, made my own mold and I didn't copy anybody's design. I just made my own.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So now, of course, that was called, uh, I think I called it M one mold one and it ended up being by the time I was done with it, it ended up being my American native.
3: Hmm.
1: Now that was after five modifications,
3: <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And a bunch of molds. Right. So, um, yeah, so I just kept going and then, uh, I, I started doing shows and started selling bows, you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I still was a finisher, I'm a faux artist, uh, that's what I did, you know, as a trade full time, basically. And I kind of did it on the side, you know, I'd come home and, uh, cause I have my own business. I, I had work and then I wouldn't have much. And I'd build bows, you know? Right. So, and I always had four or five or six bows to build for people. It was always that way. Right. Sometimes 10, but not a lot. And I kind of got into it thinking that, you know, I'm going to master this. I'm going to create all my own stuff and I'm going to move forward with this. And when I retire, um, I'm going to do this for a living, you know, working. Right. Now, of course, that don't make sense. You retire.
2: Right. (laughs) Now, I get what you're saying. I'm I'm, I'm very much the same way where I'm like, when I retire. I'm going to really do this thing that I've always wanted to do, you know, which is just more work.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to retire. I never will. Right, uh, I'm doing what I do, and if I, if my health maintains, I should be able to do it till I drop. right? So that will probably happen one day. you know, I'll probably just fall over dead in the shop. <laughs> hopefully, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I've got you know things in order by then, but um anyway,, uh, I like life and I like doing what I do, and I love see being self-employed in the business I was in. Uh, I run a service business for the first seven years of my, uh, my self-employment and I, fr- I, I service furniture stores. I repaired mm-hmm. broken furniture and dings and dents and stuff that, you know, real expensive stuff that, uh, I could go and fix it. Like you, you wouldn't even be able to tell it was worked on. Right. Well, they, so I had a pretty good business, but I had a lot of clients,
3: mm-hmm.
1: hundreds of them and they were just, you know, most of them were old, but, um, you know, and, and I learned how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. I learned how to read people. Um, I, I, I learned um, how to get along with people. Anyone. Right. You know? And Now, I didn't say that I like them. Right. Or, or I would go and hang out with them. Not that they'd want to hang out with me, but the point is, is that I, I learned how to be, uh, use a, a certain um, uh, code of ethics. You know, and honesty. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was uh, a young master mm-hmm. quickly. What? And I'm sorry, go ahead. So basically, I got, you know, I moved on from that. And that's how I kind of ascended into the bow building business, which has moved all the way up till today. Right. And there's a whole other stuff in between um, that I'll say, and then we'll, we can drop this. But the, uh, my, I was involved in this carbon thing, um, years ago when we were trying to figure out how to get these, uh, recurves to have more hook on them. And, and the one guy overseas, I can't remember his name. Um, real nice guy. He pretty much come out with the first one marketed Mm -hmm. and he he made his own carbon and stuff. Well, trying to get made here was crazy because we had to figure out how to lay it up and, and uh, it was a bunch of different bowyers um, that was involved in this. Probably a handful. Dale Stahl was a big part of it as well. And he's passed now as well. But um, anyway, uh, Dale and I were good friends and we always talked. And, and uh, we got this carbon thing figured out. It took quite a while. And getting it made was another thing. But what it ended up doing is is, is it, it moved the whole absolutely the whole industry forward. Now, a lot of the big guys... What year would, What year was this? Oh, this wasn't that long ago. This was probably maybe between eight eight years.
3: Mm, okay.
1: And a, and a lot of guys are, are just now catching on to it. They're mm. saying, oh, screw it. I'm going to... But the problem is it's hard to get. Mm. Carbon is hard to get. It's got to be made a certain way. If, if you're making uh, uh, super curve bows, you don't use this carbon, it will not work. Right. I don't what you do. So I have my way of doing it, a uh, proprietary way, and that's what I do. <laughs> Dude, I've made a bunch of garbage over the years, I can tell you. I, I, I remember looking in my loft one day and I had like 30 bows. And you figure bows at least a grand. My bows are two grand. Right. Uh, that's a lot of money right there and garbage up there. Right. <laughs> so you know but that never bothered me um sometimes i would recycle them i would cut the riser out Mm -hmm. and uh i would use it again i would just grind it all out if i had to add material i would and you know when i was done it was like wow that looks kind of cool that way you know but right um yeah so so and then in in me using my uh the, the the materials I have made custom for me, uh, that, that was a big stepping stone for me in my, my, uh, my hand carving, um, uh, 3d applications that I put on my things, my scales. Mm -hmm. I just have a lot of upgrades on my boat, more than I could even mention. Yeah.
2: I mean, when you see a Bushman, like when you see your bow, there's no doubt what you're looking at. It doesn't look like anything. And that was kind of what struck me at first, whenever I was going through, you know, aside from talking with Cody and him and I just kind of talking shop about bows and stuff like that, you know, when I was just kind of starting to look and, you know, I went and looked at all the ones you would think of, you know, that people know about and some that people don't know about, you know, that I kind of found from, you know, forums or whatever. And, and I always kind of came back to yours because I was like, man, I was like, well, one Cody, you know, I trust Cody's opinion and stuff, you know, you know, and it's always good to get a recommendation from a friend, you know, who you trust. And then, but whenever I was looking at them, you know, I'm just like, man, that just doesn't look like anything else that I, that I've seen, you know, it's like, it's, they're distinct. It's a one of one, you know, these are, these are a one of one, like some of these other ones that you get, you know, that, you know, make a, make a good bow. They're not like, they still, I don't see them as being as much of a one of one. And for me, the whole, and you and I talked a little bit about this. You and I talked last week a little bit. That for me wanting to get into this side of archery is more of like my continued exploration of getting closer to the things that I love, you know, and having it be, you know, the same reason why I do jujitsu because it's my body and I'm connecting to my body more and I'm understanding its capabilities, its shortcomings, like, and I want to be able to do the same thing with archery, my archery skills, but then even more so I want that closer connection with the, the, the animal and the hunt, because now everything is relying on my body. There's nothing between me and the animal, except this one instrument that is a one of one that was made for me, you know? And that's the, that's the experience that I want. And that's kind of, you know, what led me to want to, to reach out to you.
1: Yeah. And really that, that has nothing to do with how cool the bow looks and how great it is. And I mean, you can, they can do the same thing. Right. Uh, of course, it's not going to be as efficient, but, um, so yeah, I mean, that's,
2: that's
3: kind, kind of how of you,
1: not,
2: that's how you got started. That's how the, that's how the story began, I guess. Right.
1: yeah. And I mean, it's still going, you know, the transformation, my biggest thing was, is I'm going to build, uh, my, I'm going to build the, one of the best bows in the world. Mm-hmm. I want to be a world-class bowyer and I, from day one, I, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you something, brother, it gets frustrating. Hmm. I don't know how many times I thought about just, you know, quitting
2: packing it in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But that lasted maybe a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I had, to, you know, I, I, you know, if I had to rebuild or whatever, I, I'd have to go and do it by then I figured it out. There's a lot of variables in bow making thousands mm. and it's mind boggling. the math and mm. I'm not a wizard, but there's a lot of trig and a lot of geometry and a lot of uh, physics and, and and just stuff that i don't understand you know right um uh, but i feel it mm-hmm. and bowyer you need to learn how to read your bow you need to learn how to manipulate that bow to do what you want it to do and it will tell you what to do mm-hmm. if you know how to read it and that's what being a bowyer is about hmm. is being able to read the bow like you look at the bow you just You just got the string on it now you look at it you study the whole thing oh well it's a little twisted at this end uh you know the tiller's off on this end and how many pounds i got to play with and should i use this to get it off or this to get it off or you know uh it's just a lot of stuff it's it's very there's a lot to it and you should be a really good finisher too right Uh, so but adding all the things, I started out wanting to make uh, something completely different. All my designs are mine. I have never taken them from anyone uh, or copied anybody. Uh, this is IFOS. I came completely up in my head uh, with it again. And, uh, you know, I had guys like, that is, why are you doing that? That's stupid, you know? And I'm like, and this is just people that I, a couple people that I would share right. my ideas with. And, uh, yeah, so to each his own, um, when you're making a custom bow, you're not making it for you. You're making, you're giving them your quality and craftsmanship, but they're buying, uh, your quality and craftsmanship, but you're making it for them. You want them to enjoy that bow. Now, not everybody does because there's factors on that too. And this is another learning curve when you're a bow maker, just don't make one handle you know, either small, medium, or large. Right. That drives people crazy. <laughs> it really does. Right. So I, I come up with a, a method of, because uh, I like a thumb-style grip. That seems to be the grip that I've settled into, uh, and a lot of guys have. Um, but I have a certain protocol that I ask my clients uh, what, uh, certain information on the grip mm-hmm. Uh allows me to really zone in on it, so, um, I can get a pretty good feel for it. It's not a hundred percent cause nothing is right. Uh, and, and some people just, uh, they can't communicate what they want. They right. really can't. And, and when they try, sometimes they guide you in the wrong area. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it, it can be tough dealing with, uh, with that, but you know, I'm very patient and I, I get people asking me stuff, all the time, and some of it's goofy, I guess. But you know what? My job—it's part of right. It. If
2: that's what they dig, if that's what they want, you know what I mean. If that's the thing that makes them comfortable, or whatever the case is, then more power to yeah. them, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. you know, when I'm building, when I'm building bows, it, it's to me—I put my soul into it. There's a lot of heart. There's a lot of uh, uh, everything goes into it. So, that transfers out to the bowyer. Right. If they connect to it now it's a very spiritual thing you know uh, bow, uh archery is physical it's mental it's emotional spiritual it really is yeah and uh I'll tell you a quick story um I had a guy call me a couple i don't know five, well, it's been about ten years now he was a monk hmm. in California. And he said, he goes, "Uh, I'm a a monk. I can't remember the mountains he was in, but um, he said he'd been collecting money for like 10 or 15 years, saving.
3: Wow.
1: Oh, and he said, I've studied all the the bows out there. And he goes, you're the one that I've decided on. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then one day I asked him, I said, why do you shoot bows? I mean, that seems kind of... Mm -hmm. And he told me, he said, look, he goes, this is a very spiritual thing to do. And he goes, it quiets the voices in my head. Mm -hmm. And and it kind of freaked me out when he said that. I didn't really understand it.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. But what he means is is it quiets your conscience down. It quiets the uh, the everyday life of, Mm -hmm. of stress. And, you know, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about that. And that's what archery does. That's what hunting does. Mm-hmm. So it transfers, you know, all those energies transfer into your head and, and, uh, and kind of cleanse you.
3: Right.
1: So, so that's basically, I gained a lot from building that bow for that guy. And he was very meticulous about the shadows and the edges and all this stuff. And, and he wrote me this really nice letter. Um, when he was done, it was, geez, it was a whole page long. And, wow. and uh, wonderful it's just
2: uh that's awesome that's a that's yeah. a that's a cool experience you know like just yeah you know some, grew, someone who's grew, i'm sorry go ahead
1: i grew from that experience yeah
2: yeah how could you not you know what i mean it's like he's he obviously is looking for a bow to meet a higher purpose than just to fling arrows you know what yep. i mean and so whenever you build that when you build that bow it's like how can you not think about that and how could that not end up in the bow you know yeah yeah the um so. Man. So I, I want to shift gears here because I think, and I'm a noob, you know, I'm a newbie at this. And so, you and I talked a little bit last week and what, what I wanted to do during part of this was kind of walk through, start walking through, you know, um, you know, what I would be, you know, me as a, as a person coming to find a bow, you know, and that, yeah. and that process, um, yeah. because there might be people out there that are listening that, you know, that, or just, you know, like me that, man, I don't know where to start. You know, I've, I've plucked around a little bit with a recurve. I've got one sitting back here, you know, behind me that I kind of play around with every now and then, you know, I don't shoot it great. Um, you know, but I, but I want to make the transition, but I'm not quite sure how to have the right conversation with someone to build me a bow. So I wanted to do that with you. So at least maybe we give someone out there that's interested or thinking about it, a template for like, Hey, this is, these are the things I need to consider, like To get this, to, to get things started. So, I guess let's just start at the beginning like you know I'm coming to you and I'm saying Steve I want I want one of your bows I'm a newbie like where where do I start
1: well the first thing I would say to you is, is have you ever shot a bow before and, the, and you'll most of them say yes right I own a bow yeah I own a crappy blah 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 I said do you know how to tune your arrows my answer is no well, I can tune. I, I get all my stuff tuned at the shop when I get, you know, my compound bow because most of them shoot compound as well. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not the same. It's, it's similar, but it's not the same. Right. So, what I do, first of all, I ask them what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are they playing or are they serious? They want to hunt. Is, is that the goal, yeah. or are they just target to shoot and piddle around? Um. and, and, and two. It's about affordability. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and I understand that. So I always give them the opportunity. I say, go home, get something used, Mm -hmm. you know, and see if you like it, especially if you don't have a bow, Mm -hmm. because man, you know, if, if you don't have a mentor or somebody to teach you, it can be frustrating, especially if you're not, your arrows aren't tuned or you're overbowed, Right. Or your handles bad. And that's another conversation that I wanted to bring up. But so, um, you know there's a lot to it so so the first thing i would say you know is is uh what i just said if you have if you have a bow figure out how to get some arrows for it that tuned and practice your form uh practice your 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 uh your anchor point uh figure out your draw length and um you know uh buying a bow from me is a commitment mm-hmm. i mean if you're going to get on my list you're going to pay a deposit right Okay, yep. and that, that tells me you're committed to it. Mm-hmm. And because I get a lot of uh, I call them uh, tire kickers, you know, they'll mm-hmm. say all, but they they just move on down the road. I, I don't have time for that. Right. You know, I spend a lot of time with my clients talking, and I'm really super busy. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I like to pick my clientele, but they pick me really. You right. Know, I care who they are or what they do, what they stand for. As long as they, they're, they're, um, wanting one of my bows, uh, that's enough for me and I will guide them as much as I can, uh, in the right direction. So, um, you know, being able to shoot a longbow, uh, and shoot a recurve, uh, shoot a long curve, shoot a hyperstatic bow, that is a, a, a something that really when you're beginning, you're not going to know what you have.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have them all out in front of you and you and you keep fiddling with them. I, again, it goes back to reading the bow. You have to be able to feel uh, and see and adjust and know how to do stuff, and, and which is good when you uh, buy a bow from me because guys will call up, you know, hey, I, you know, the, the arrow's doing this or something's doing that and you know i will correct these issues for people Mm -hmm. and in the beginning guys you can really get overwhelmed when you get online and start looking at everybody's opinion uh and some of them are great some of them are not and uh so i just tell people i said if you want to get on and and uh and learn some stuff about maybe shooting or setting up a bow uh I have a few people I, I usually tell them to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the guy on the push is he this this guy's yeah a phenomenal archer.
2: Matt, yeah, Matt's awesome. It had him on like a year or so ago. He's yeah. wealth of knowledge, understands it and, and a hell of a shooter.
1: Yep. And uh he's been trying to get me to uh do a review on one of my bows and and, and I am just I just don't have time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm going to do it, but I just don't know when. All right. And so Anyway, <clears throat> you can, if, if talking about just say you, I'm just going to answer your question. I know yeah. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to say, look, if you want to saddle hunt, if you want a uh, run and gun, mm-hmm. like what Cody does, mm-hmm. you need a short bow. Mm-hmm. Um, now it depends on your draw length. If you got a 30 inch draw length, trying to get a short bow is hard. Right. Uh, now I have that. I have a short bow. You can draw thirty-two inches. But thing is, uh, it may not be the type of bow you like. You may, you might like a long bow. Right. So a long bow can be made for that, but it has to be manipulated in certain ways to where it can be pulled back that far. Right. Uh, so, and there are ways to do that.
2: This might be one instance where my short draw length actually comes in handy. <laughs>
1: well, look, I. I got a twenty five inch draw length.
2: Yeah, mine with, on a compound, mine's twenty six and a half.
1: Yeah, so you're probably twenty five and a half, maybe. Depending on if you shoot three under or split. Mm-hmm. Three hundred you can get a little more. Uh, especially if you're shooting uh if you're shooting a crawl, uh, and getting that arrow up to your eyeball, you you can get more of a draw with three under, but it's all about your anchor point, mm-hmm. you know. Um so you can change your anchor point. You just have to be consistent with it. Right. And uh, some guys go, oh, I just can't shoot. You know, it's nothing's. It's never the same. Well, if you're not pulling it back to the same distance every time your arrow is being o- uh, underspined or overspined. Right. It's not correctly. So get a clicker, put it on your bow. I still use a clicker sometimes. Hmm. I have one bow. My long bow has a clicker on. It. And, I, you know, I like it doesn't bother me in the least bit, but so I know wh- when I get... What's a, what's,
2: what's a clicker for people that don't, like like me, who doesn't know what a clicker it's is?
1: basically a device um, that, you remember those things we used to squeeze when we were kids to go... Yeah, yeah, yeah. spring Well, it's basically, and it's a small little version of it, and it just goes on your limb, and you put a string from there onto your bowstring. And you serve some like nail knots on each side, and you get it to where it'll rotate around the string. And uh, you got it, it's a little tricky setting it up to, to your draw length, but um, you know, if you use a, a, a slip knot and magic markers, you can figure out where it is. Right. And having somebody to help you is the best. Right. Uh, but. Yeah. And, and it tells you right where are at when you're at 25 inches or 26.5 or whatever. So it helps you be consistent and it trains you. So uh, because <clears throat> this helps you become more instinctive. And um, now I know there are guys that are instinctive shooters, but to me, you de- That's something that you develop. Hmm. Anyone can develop it to be an instinctive shooter. You just but it's based on. Uh, a bunch of factors that you learned, maybe subconsciously or consciously, hopefully consciously, but
3: <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> you know, uh, these are things that you learn when you shoot. So, um, after a while, you don't even think about it, but those help you become an instinctive shooter. <laughs> so, you know, you may start off shooting gap. <laughs> uh, that's how I started and uh become the arrow by byron ferguson Uh, that's a great book you know and and i actually met byron real swell guy and um but all that stuff are seeds that that help you ascend into whatever you you know where you want to take it right um and and it's not easy no it's not but that's why we do it Mm -hmm. and is it frustrating oh yeah it is uh Mm -hmm. but i'll tell you what the rewards Uh, especially if you do 3d shooting uh, you know and i was always out there with compound guys you know and they a lot of respect for us they really do Mm -hmm. they're like here come the real archers (laughs) (laughs)
2: Nice.
1: but uh, not that we shot great but you know we were doing it that way and uh, i was ridiculed for giving up my uh, i was there was a bunch of people i hung out with that shot compounds and Oh, you're leaving us, huh? Going with that trad stuff, <laughs> man. It's just a lot of fun, man. Right, right. Get bored with all the other stuff, but uh, yeah.
2: So, so like, so you like, like you said, you you know, kind of what I want to do with it, right? Like, it's gonna be yeah. saddle hunting, right? So I probably you know want that running gun kind of style, um, yep. you know, capability. So I'm probably gonna want a shorter bow, yep. you know. So from there, it's like now, you know, kind of like what my application is, like, what is the next thing that you're going to that you're going to need to know from me? You know, when you start thinking about helping me make a selection of a of a bow and what direction to go,
1: I would say, what do you want? What do you want to carry around? What do you want? What do you want it to look like? Right. So so do you like a long curve? Do you like a long bow? You know, there's different. A lot of, uh, there's, there's some opinions on, uh, recurves are harder to carry in the woods than longbows. And mm. then maybe some, look, when I'm in the woods, I carry both and yeah, I've gotten hung up before, but I got hung up on my longbow too, just as many times. So
3: right.
1: it, it's, it's a shorter bow is basically easier in the stand. Mm-hmm. That's very you know, that's where you can really get into some cool stuff because especially if you're a prone shooter, uh, which I'm not, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, learning how to be versatile in your, in your, in your styles, (laughs) uh, shooting canted,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: you should be able to shoot. You should be able to lay down on the ground and, and shoot. So all that stuff is real cool to learn and, and to know your bow and learn how to do. So, uh, and you can do that with a long bow or a uh, uh, a long curve. Mm-hmm. But I guess primarily I would say, what do you want? What do you like? What do you like the looks of? Now, you might say, what's faster? That's the first thing people R- say.
2: Right, yeah, that's what people always ask. Yeah, exactly.
1: Long curve, hands down, is going to be faster.
2: Right. Is there one over the other that's easier to shoot, That that's just more forgiving, I guess, is a better way to say it?
1: You know, I, I don't. I don't know that answer because that, that is such an individual thing. Right. I will say that, uh, the bows are built differently. They draw differently. Um hmm. uh, and guys that have a longer draw may have more of an issue, say with pinch and stuff like that. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, and this is why most guys will have a long bow and a, a, a super curve. <laughs> you know, they do right. like them both. Right. And that, They'll hunt with one, one year, or they might hunt with both of them. Right. You know, some guys have tons of bows. Right. But, um, I, I would say just pick what you think will work and, uh, discuss it with your bowyer Mm -hmm. and get his opinion, of course, Mm -hmm. ultimately make your own decision. Right. And learn how to tune, learn how to bear shaft, learn how to read your arrow when you shoot it and, um, don't paper tune. You bear shaft, so you stand ten feet away from the target, pull it back, real nice draw. Uh, clicker comes in handy because you can. Uh, World wise, when you're tuning arrows for the first time, you end up changing your draw length all the time, and 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 that's the frustrating part. Right. So, getting a clicker, or at least marking an arrow to where you can know if you're in the right position, uh, as far as the draw and the arrow goes right uh so that's kind of critical but your anchor point your release <clears throat> all those things are uh they add to the accuracy of tuning right so all right three shot you know i, I use one arrow i don't use three right i use one arrow I start off at, you know, especially if it's full length. I, I don't even do that anymore, but I used to shoot a full length shaft. And if you're 20 feet away, that if you are, you'll be so weak spined hmm. that sometimes the arrow will go completely sideways and snap. Right. Especially the wood. Right, right.
2: The, yeah, um. But- so I, I was just going to ask, so, you know, the application, right, we figured that out, you know, shorter. Um, and then for me, I'm leaning more toward a longbow is what I'm more leaning toward. And so what are the lengths then that a, what is the, uh, what would a short longbow be?
1: A a short longbow for me would be 52 inches,
2: 52 inches. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's short. You can take this bow and pop it apart and put it in your back pocket. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. It, It really is. So, but there's disadvantages to that. You know, um, that bow is designed to be uh, 64 to, uh, well, up to 68 inches. Right. That's a lot of reflex on mm-hmm. that bow. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, people, I have sold some 68s and some 66s and some 64s, but for the most part, uh, 60 is probably my most popular length of a bow. Cause I double knock all my bows, uh, from my stringing system. Hmm. so that adds about a half inch on each end of each bow anyway right so um now the super curves uh, i've got a super short and it is when it's strung from tip to tip with measuring tape it's 52 inches Hmm. and when you draw it back um it doesn't it comes back kind of weird it doesn't really get longer the way the the, the limbs unfold because of the tapers and the limbs uh, it, it comes back nice so mm-hmm. that draws different than a longbow and that's the feel that um a lot of people like they like that 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 no stacking mm-hmm. it's all it's all butt immediately now a longbow is going to stack differently mm-hmm. uh, is basically it doesn't have as much uh, reflex and, uh, and curve in the ends. Right. So, so when you say that.
2: so when you say stack, can you just explain that for people that are listening that might not know what that is?
1: Uh, generally, uh, a stack rate is, I measure mine from 24 to sometimes 32, but generally it's 24 to 28. Mm-hmm. And eat, you, you draw it on a machine and you'll see digitally, I uh, said, okay, from 24 to 25, it's uh, one pound 0.50. Oh. and then it might go up to one point seven oh, right? To to twenty six, and then when you go to twenty seven, it might go down a little bit, hmm. <clears throat> and that does happen with the with the super curves. Hmm. You get a little let off, but then at some point it it might it, it, when it starts to stack two pounds and two and a half and three and four that's where you're at your end of your cycle. You don't want to push it past that. Right. Hm. I don't know how far I could pull my bows back. I've never wanted to build a bow and just break it. Right. Uh, I may do that one day, but I, I don't know. I, I just, to me, that's a waste. Right. You know, for, for all the work I get into something, I, I don't think. I, just, to, I don't...
2: just to break it. Yeah. doesn't make,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, I have seen guys do it on, you know, with a forklift or whatever. And, and break them apart to, you know because a lot of people say that the locket socket handles are weak and whatever which you know anybody that knows them well knows they're not right i mean you would really screw one up and make it really thin uh so my handles i have no doubt in my mind how strong they are because i've manipulated the materials in them uh i have my own system i know they're strong so I don't, i'm not even questioning that this would be right. just be ridiculous that's that the tips The bow would break before the, you know, uh, before the center of it would. Right. So, but, um, so, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. You, you want to pick what you like to look at.
2: Right.
3: Okay.
1: So I would say, go through my catalog and look at the bows and come up with an idea and then throw that to me.
3: Yeah.
1: And then I say, okay, well now we're going back to the grip. What do you think you would like for a grip? Hmm. And so, this, this is risky for people that haven't had one because, uh, you know, you can give a standard kind of lowish grip with a thumb that always works for everybody, mm-hmm. but some guys want a high wrist and you either like a high wrist or you hate it. Right. So, and you have to shoot a high wrist kind of like a compound. It's almost like the choke method. Hmm.
3: You
1: know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the wrist is more straight out. Right. So that's something you would you would have to decide, and, and I'll discuss that with you and show you some different handles. I've got a bunch of old risers. With geez, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, plus twenty bows hanging up that are mine, and some are uh, blanks for the shop. And but there's a lot, a lot of handles. Right. So, um.
2: So like so we we pick a handle, right? Like I think I would probably want that. What you mentioned first, like the thumb grip. Is, yeah. that what, is that what it's called? That, yeah, would, yeah. I'd probably lean toward that because that's probably what the, I'm guessing it's probably what has come on the the re the two recurves I have here at the house because they're just pretty standard off-the-shelf recurves. I would imagine that's probably what they have, right? Is that yeah. like a pretty typical kind of grip that would be on just say, uh, say per, mass-produced yeah. versions?
1: It just depends on the company, yeah. but it's, it's common okay. and uh, the grip that... Um, Course, if there's three piece bows, uh, you know, recur- some recurves have big risers on them and they're, they're a lot of forward bent uh, angulation on them. Uh, but the thumb, his thumb helps you just get right into it. And it gives you a place, uh, so security uh, that you're not moving around a whole lot. Right. You know, See, I would
2: probably want that just for me to be consistent. Like it would just yeah. help me take one thing out of the equation that I'm going to, that yeah. I need to be consistent yeah.
1: with. Another thing, too. Um, Sometimes I use finger grooves on my, my bows and, hmm. uh, and, and, really they're not that great for shooting. They're great for carrying around your bow.
3: Got it. Okay.
1: And that's why I like them. Cause you know, I, one day I said, boy, I really like carrying this bow and I, I couldn't figure out why hmm. it just felt good in my hand. Well, that's because of the finger grooves. On it. Right. So I may do light ones for people. Uh, most people don't like them because they just don't want to see it on there. Uh, but guys that do it, them all their bows, you know? So I ask people, you know, do you want it or don't? And they, they'll say either nay or yay. But, um, it's, that's my definition of what they're good for. Right. Uh, some guys are grabbers. They put their hands all the way around the bow and shoot. In fact, I used to do that. I still may do it somewhat. (laughs) Uh, but I don't death grip it. I don't torque it.
2: Right. Sure. All right. So we we've got our length, right? We and we've talked about what kind of grip that I grip that I want. You know, the application that I'm going to be using it for. Oh. And we talked a little bit about draw length. You know, which I know is probably yeah. a little bit more. Um. You know, probably need to get more defined on that, and that's probably going to come from you know shooting, like grabbing something, you know, like a like what I have here at the house, and just shooting it and getting some some form down to know what my actual draw length would be, you know, yeah. on, on a bow. So let's move then to, to draw weight, right? Cause I, that's probably the other big question you get is, well, how much, how much draw weight should I have on this thing?
1: So now this, this is where you get into, uh, what bow would be better for your application if you were going to shoot a lighter weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, when you're shooting a long bow now, of course, design's going to help you some uh carbon's going to help you so um and and really you don't have to be super uh, fast it's all about shot placement and as long as it's not dog slow you know right uh, but uh the mid 40s I, I know guys that hunt with 40 42 43 hmm. and they kill deer all the time so uh but i always tell everybody you want something comfortable um you want something that's fun you want something you can shoot and shoot it repetitively. So get uh, get what you can take. Mm-hmm. So anywhere's from um, I'm going to average this anywhere's from 45 to 53 <laughs> is probably the zone that I'm always in with people. Right. Uh, the younger guys they like the 50s. Some guys they like 55 and 60, and then there's some that like way more than that. Um, but the averages. So <clears throat> for a super curve or for my Zyphos, you're going to get a lot more speed. Uh, <laughs> if you go with a lower weight, <laughs> um, you can go 43, 44 pounds and still be shooting pretty fast. Right. And that's the, about these, uh, uh, long, these super curve style bows. Um, mine is basically a hyperstatic long curve. So it's got the two things going for it.
2: What's hyperstatic? What's that mean?
1: means it just bent forward uh, okay. a lot, so so you can tell when you're stringing it. Because when you unstring it, it's like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> now my regular uh, super short long curve, when you unstring it, it just comes right off nicely. Right. Uh, this one here, when you unstring it, it the, the limbs come up quite a bit. Hmm. So it's, there's a lot of preload on it. Hmm. So that's you know where it's getting its uh, its. Uh, its speed from
2: right so. and so for a long bow like what would you like what would your recommendation be? because i'll i'll just say this i have the re the one recurve i have here is 60 pounds and i don't like to shoot it at all like i it, yeah. it doesn't see the light of day the other one that i do play around with is 55 and yeah. i and i don't mind shooting it but it still feels like it's a little like it's a little yeah. much you know
1: i oh i would go 50 uh, i would go between 46 and 50
3: yeah okay
1: you know, and 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 look start off baby steps uh if you take it hunting get make your zone short yeah. you know don't do anything past 20 yards yeah you know have a range finder with you there's nothing wrong with knowing that you know eventually uh you won't even need to know you'll know where your zone is right but um yeah because i'm gonna tell you something and you probably already know this. The shots, the hardest shots, are the ones you don't practice. Are the ones that are right under your stand. Yeah. And those bucks will walk right in on you, giving it all to you, and you're like, "Oh man, it's like really a steep shot," you know? Right. (laughs) So, the good thing about uh, hunting low is it's not because they ain't that way. If you if you're up thirty feet and I hunt high, I got a lot of stands that are really high, so. Shooting with a trad bow at at, at five yards is hard. I yeah. mean you have to really. When you're going to shoot, that bow is canted over a lot, a real lot, and it it seems like you're going to hit the dirt with that arrow.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So you get those are things. You get to practice. Right. Uh, practice your zone, and uh, just just stay. Even if it's 15 yards, who cares? You know, um, just become efficient from say six yards to 18 to 20 yards. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about everything else. Yeah. Um so you, you know uh, you, you graduate in your mind at least to maybe something with uh, a little more power or depending on the issue that's keeping you from shooting out at 25. Cause 25, it's not really a hard shot at, at 20 feet in the air, but it's still far. Yeah. yeah. And you're an animal and you're nervous and, and you're bulked up. Uh, you're not shooting like you're in your backyard and stuff. So there's a lot of factors involved. Yeah. Uh, so I would say yeah, forty six to fifty, and uh, don't get overbowed. Yeah. Um You can handle more. Like Cody wants a little more. I think he wants like fifty two or something on the high side,
3: mm-hmm.
1: or fifty three, because uh, he's got a he's got a long bow that I think is in the high forties, mm-hmm. and he'd be able to uh, have a bow uh, that, uh, gives them some options. Now, um, you can make a bow with triple knock, which is basically, uh, the outside knock is for springing. The two inside knocks, uh, are for different weights. So Hmm. you can, you can set up the bow. Um, and there's a bunch of ways to manipulate this, but I'm not going to get into it and confuse everybody. Right. So basically uh the first knock that's the inside one that will be your heaviest weight say 55 pounds right okay so when you put it on the middle knock on both ends uh you'll probably go down on a long bow about four pounds hmm. so you'd be down to like 51 so a lot of guys they find one and they just keep using it but i imagine there are some that do, do use the two but the thing is it's almost like having two bows in one right you have to you have to treat it as such. So, <clears throat> yeah, you can twist the string up and change it. But having a string made for the outside knock that's longer uh, is much easier. And having a, a set of arrows because here's the whole deal. I was just going to say that
2: it's like those two things, you're going to need probably two different sets of arrows.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And you need to mark your arrows as such. I always, all my <laughs> arrows, I always uh, mark them. Uh, inconspicuously, but I mark them and code, code, put a little bit of lacquer on them just to keep it there so I always know oh yeah, this goes to this and whatever.
2: Yeah, because I, I actually really like that idea because I think I would want to start at like that 46 kind of pound range, you know, somewhere 45, 46 like in that range but would want the option is as I get more comfortable with it and confident with it if I'm able to pull back 50, 51, 52, whatever it happens to be that I would like to be able to to get to that. You know and yep. so I love that idea of being able to do that. I had no clue that you were that that was something that could be done with traditional bows. Yeah.
1: Well, I every bow I've ever made had two knocks on them because, well, I shouldn't say the first one I made, I uh, got hit in the groin with it and I was like, What the? So I just put the, the loop knock on the end of it and I never had an issue since. So I've done that with all my. I can't do it with my super curves, mm-hmm. but I can do it with my uh, my longbows. Right. But uh, <clears throat> the triple knock thing, I would have people say, "Well, you know, can I string it on the outside knock?" And I said, "Well, no, it's not made for that. But uh, if you want that, I can make it as such. I just have to, you know, change the uh, design a little bit. Right. I'm working on it, tooling it. Right. So that has been happening more frequently. Um, plus me re knocking, bows for people and adding weight to it, such as I did with Cody. Um, so I turned his into a triple knock. So yeah, you could, you could get that done. And, uh, it's, it's an upcharge. Uh, most of my stuff, you know, that the cool stuff is upcharges right. you know, from pricing So, But you know, you're aware of all that when uh, we talk yep. and I go, first thing I ask somebody is what's your budget? Yep. And some people don't know because they don't know well what do they cost and they haven't shopped or done anything. And I was like, you know, all right, well this is what I this is what I charge for all this, and, and where do you want to go with it? And I get a really good feel with them and spend some time with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I got to figure out what they want the bow to look like, uh, then I can basically you know I've already determined what bow it is mm-hmm. uh, the poundage and all that. I can't build a bow until I know where my Uh, My goal is. Right. So, what I ask somebody is, 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 uh, what is the least amount of weight you will take? Right. And you tell me. And what is the most amount of weight you would take? Then you tell me. And I say, what is your ideal weight that you would like at your draw length? Mm -hmm. So, I always shoot for in between the ideal and the highest weight because, uh, well, it depends on the bow. Uh, Long curve bows are, I mean, when you put them together, they're just, they do weird stuff. The tiller's (laughs) off, one limb is crooked. It's always that way with that stuff. And I don't know if it's the inconsistency of the carbon, I don't know if it's the radical shape, (laughs) Uh, but a lot of guys have the same issues with it. And we all, you know, everybody's got their own way to deal with it. But uh, you need the extra weight to be able to manipulate. Uh, the bow to what it's telling you it needs to do. That's what we were talking about earlier. Right, right. The bow, the bow will tell you. Like oh, I need this, you know, sand it over here. And 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 really, uh, I struggled with this for years because I didn't want to. Um, well, for one thing, you don't want to overdo anything, so it's always a little. Of, uh, an, uh, an inch is a cinch, a yard is too hard. So, right, because <laughs> yeah. you can't put it back on once you take it off unless you cut the limbs down and i've had to do that before right right i re-knock them so but the triple knock thing back to that yeah i mean that's a good idea especially if you want to uh ascend into more weight down the road Mm -hmm. Uh, you you would have to just uh, get a shorter string or you could take your existing string and commit to it and say well i'm not going to shoot this middle knock anymore i'm going to commit to this one you just turn the string about six or seven times uh you may have to warm it up to get it to do that but you right. can you can definitely do it it's right. just yeah, rewax it after you're done and reset it or just order a new string
2: yeah i know? would probably just order a new string and have two and then i could always go back and forth between the two like whatever yeah. I wanted, whatever i want to do
1: there's some good string makers out there i don't i mean i've made probably thousands of strings over the years and i hate making strings <laughs> it's like pulling teeth for me because i i'm so picky and i do all my handmade mufflers out of uh peruvian wool and mm-hmm. uh i double silence uh i double uh, uh rubber silence my um my longbow strings uh, mm-hmm. so i got four on there um but but the but the longbow string i'm uh, the uh, long curve strings take so long to make hmm. and um i just put so much effort into them. they're double knocked with, with adjustable knocks that you know you can turn right and, and stuff like that um i use a high performance string and uh I, i'm just very picky about it so i'm very leery when somebody says well i put on a string Man. and every every time but i've seen some i'm like where'd the mufflers go right oh i don't. I said, well, <clears throat> the bow is designed to have them on there.
3: Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, that bows a lot louder without.
2: It. Right.
3: Right.
1: Because so, they have uh, recurves have string slap. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I've been kind of leaning more toward um, a long bow is for that is more for like just the, the quiet nature of it.
1: Well, you know? look, I'm going to back up and tell you my bows are quiet. Right. i told that by more than many people that I have the quietest recurve uh, that they've ever shot. Nice. So if it's making noise, there's a reason. Mm. Sometimes the mufflers, it, you know, when you have a string uh, and you let it unwind, those mufflers will move. They'll unwind and they'll, they'll fall out. So a lot of guys they will stuff them back in and they don't know how to manipulate them to where it needs to be right in that groove. It mm. should be like at least one inch in the groove. and uh, that's for it to be doing its job right so i tell you know my clients try not to use other people's strings i don't like making strings but uh, you know at least i can if i know what bow you have um i can make the string correctly
3: right right
1: because i build my strings to the brace height of the bow right okay it's it's and it's treated a certain way so it doesn't it has a memory to it. It doesn't stretch beyond that. Right.
2: Well, it just goes back to like what we talked about at the beginning is that these bows are purpose, purpose made, you know, it's like there's a, they have, they, I don't want to say they have a, have a mind of their own, but they have a, a way that they want to be built. You know, when you get down that path and like the, the, the bow you're in, you in in this case, right. It's a, you're listening (laughs) to the bow. (laughs)
1: it's it's kind of like herding
2: cats (laughs) right right right
1: but you gotta have a lot right you gotta
2: have a lot you gotta have a lot of patience but uh nice man well hey like one last thing you know so we talked all about the application we're kind of getting down the path here of like okay Mm -hmm. thumb grip 52 inches i want to go triple knock i'm going to want that 46 ish pound and you said you want those three, like what's the high end or like low end, high end and yes. middle, middle. Right. And mine would probably be like, well, low end would probably be like 43, you know, high end would probably be like 50 ideal would be probably like 46, you know, 45, yeah. 46 is like what I'm kind of looking at. Right. Um, range. what's that?
1: That's a good range for a failure. Yeah.
2: And so that's kind of what I, I would be looking at. So then like at that point, aside from, cause you do a lot of other kind of you know, add-ons as far as, you know, design and just, you know, aesthetic and stuff like that. That's very unique to you. Aside from, aside from like going through and figuring out like, like those types of, I don't want to say creative because this whole process is creative, but the, um, the art kind of like visual side of it, if you will. Right. Aside from that, like, are those the primary things that you need that we just, that we already discussed to know like what, bow you're building aside from you know am i is it going to have scale is it going to have this or that or whatever the case is is this like the primary information you need to go okay i now i now know what bow i'm what bow i'm making
1: that gets me building the bow and then once i get the bow built then i figure out if i made weight with it Mm -hmm. and then uh because my bows are two-piece uh Mm -hmm. then i i do all the applications of the uh overlays right and i Special way I do that, and um, once and and at that point I'll I'll say okay, what are we doing for overlays? You want belly scales? Do you want some uh, uh, various other uh, 3D arrowheads uh, on there, stuff like that, right. Or whatever? Right. Uh, do you want? Uh, I've got a bunch of different scales that go on the backside, and I can do them on the belly side too.
3: Right.
1: A lot of guys will do them the same, hmm. and a bunch of upgrade materials. So <clears throat> once I get to that point, then I, can, uh, then I can start the takedown process. Once I start the takedown process, then uh, that is uh, once, uh, that's an arduous process. Mine takes so long to do. It's, it's like pulling teeth. More hurting cats. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But um, once I get to the point to where the, the bow is ready to be pulled apart, uh, now we're ready for the grip, and that's when I get into doing that. Once I get the grip done, then uh tillering process begins i mean i do rough tillering Mm -hmm. uh, when i'm testing weight but because if it's really out of tiller i I definitely have to tiller before i put it on the machine i don't want to screw it up right uh but usually you know i got to take a little bit of weight off and i got to trap the limbs a little bit and blah 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 blah. i might have a little twist in and i got to take out and uh you lose a little weight Mm -hmm. and Sometimes, uh, you know, and then you have your finished sanding, which usually it's a pound you lose, but it just depends on, uh, if you've had to do some other things. Right. But, uh, once that's happening, then it's uh, finish time. So it's, what do you want for logos? What colors, <laughs> uh, you want any artwork or anything weird on it? I say weird, but you know, different. And, um, you may already have that. We are, may have it in my book already. So once <laughs> I get to that point, it goes in gets, uh, gets the sealer uh I, it sits for 48 hours maybe longer depending on if i bake it or not but right um that bow will be then uh sanded out completely and then i go in and i do the uh my special camouflage uh, ghost camo on there um, which i do on 95 percent of all my bows mm-hmm. um i do some airbrush work here and there and uh, put the final mat Uh, clear coat on it and from there it's doing my proprietary uh toad skin grip which i have in a whole bunch of different colors uh i actually have a different uh, material um which i call uh rhino skin um well i was calling it raptor skin but somebody has that so i don't know what i call it but it's uh it's just a really cool material it's um but it's grippy Mm, you know, yeah uh, but nice. uh from there, it's making the strings and and uh you know getting the grip done, and um then it's pack up time and do the brochure and yeah getting nice. it in a box and keeping it in one one keeping it keeping it uh pres- preserved right until <laughs> <look to> you
2: <laughs> right, right, so soup the nuts <laughs> if you started a bow, like how long? You know, I'm not talking about like getting like getting on your list necessarily. I'm talking about you're just making a bow. Right? I don't even. know.
1: You don't, I don't even know. know. Want to know?
2: Yeah, <laughs> <If> <laughs> that's fair. My
1: bows, my bows have become so complicated. These overlays, I can just give you an idea. My takedown system uh, is probably a six-hour process, maybe seven, maybe eight. Jeez. That's how intricate it is. Right. And it's yeah, I agree. It's ridiculous. But you know what? <laughs> That's what it wants.
3: Right. Yeah. That,
1: for my system, that's what it wants. And I don't care. I just do it. Uh, my overlays. I, I, I got six hours in putting my on my scales uh, on the inside of the belly. That's, you know, that's crazy. Yeah. But I don't care, you know. so That's what it wants. These, these are why the, the options, some of them are pricey, you know, yeah. uh, because a lot of time. Yeah. So to answer your question... Uh, I used to be able to build a bow in a day, Hmm. years ago, if I wanted. But you know what? You're rushing everything. Yeah. So why do that? Uh, I don't do that. So I don't pay attention. They get done when they get done. And I work on, I juggle, well, I got two that I'm getting out right now. Uh, They're almost ready. Well, one's ready to ship. The other one is uh, going in the finish room. Uh, and I've got six more that I'm starting. I got the riser materials all cut out, and getting ready to glue the blocks up. So, you know, and I'll be juggling six bows.
2: Right. Yeah, man. It's dude, I would love to just be a, a fly on the wall in your shop one day and watch how it all comes together cuz it just interests me how
1: Where are you at? Where do you live at?
2: I'm uh in in uh just north of Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, but, you're not that I guess. Uh, Eh, it's I'm not in, that
2: it's not that bad. Indiana, uh, in well, just Indiana in general is not that too terribly far of a drive. It's actually the spot. whenever, like when I get there uh, on my way back from Kansas, I'm always like, "Oh, it's not too bad it, now." <laughs>
1: no, no, you can do that. You know, yeah, you walk, yeah. And, uh and stop in. I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's a shop. Yeah, you know, but but I mean, just
2: the, the the process just intrigues me how it how it all works. But
1: well, it's. Uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on how you look at it, but um, right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, man, I know you have some people coming to pay you a visit here in the night in just like a, a, a couple minutes. And uh, I want to be sensitive to your time and uh, appreciate you coming on before I let you go though, let people know where they can find out more about Bushman bows, where they can get a hold of you, you know, contact information and stuff like that. If someone wants to, to check out some bows.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you want to look at the Bushman bows stuff, my Instagram uh, Bushman bows, uh, I have a pretty big library on there. My website is in the bio. Uh, I have a uh, Bushman Traditional Bows Facebook page. Uh, I have a Stephen Jewett Facebook page, uh, and you can look at all the stuff on there and uh, check things out. And, and you can always uh, text me or call me, uh, and you can get the number. Uh, I'm not going to give my number over the air, but yeah. um, you you can certainly get it so, uh, by getting online and getting it. Yeah, But, you know, if they want to get some ideas about maybe timelines and cost and whatever, I mean, that's I, what I do. And I don't feel you're bugging me about anything. Um, I get a lot of new people and I welcome new people because we need the, the expansion in this sport. And, um, you know, people need to uh, just keep doing it. And that's what it takes from graduation from compound to uh, trad or whatever, you know. Um, but I'm in it for for uh, for my clients and I'm customer service orientated. Uh, I don't ignore anybody's phone calls. never. Mm-hmm. I have any issues with anything I deal with it. Uh, that's how I roll and I've always been I always will be that way. Mm-hmm. So you know if you have any questions about stuff and I, I don't have a problem with answering your questions. so you know I look forward to it.
2: Awesome, man well, I appreciate you coming on, buddy.
1: Yeah, Clint, I I had a good time and hopefully I didn't make too big of a fool myself.
2: (laughs) Good to go. Appreciate it, man.
1: Yeah, man. I'll talk to you soon.
2: All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all.